we've had the absolute unspeakable gift over the course of the summer to host dozens and dozens of weddings here at Pillar. The bride walks down the aisle, her heart beating out of her chest, her smile sending beams out of the sanctuary as the groom stands in the front here with his eyes welling with tears and his knees wobbling in fears. A couple of weeks ago, I married Matt Mulder to Jill Nichols. Here's a picture of their beautiful wedding. A couple months before that was uh, Chloe Workema and Brian Bradford. Here's a professional photograph of their wedding. And then just last Saturday, married Rachel Bartkowiak and Brandon Pop. This is them on their way out of the sanctuary. The two have become one flesh. Each couple brings this complicated and beautiful, mysterious story of life and faith into their marriage moment. That's one of the gifts of premarital counseling, getting a window into their mysterious lives. Uh, Rachel and Brandon have a particularly profound story together. They've given me their permission to share it with you. Rachel went to Hope College, graduated a year or so ago, As a college student, she entered fully into the life of the Pillar community. She worshiped with us. She did children's ministry with us. She had a mentor here at Pillar. When she graduated, she returned to her home state of Illinois before moving to Grand Rapids for a teaching job just before COVID shut the world down. As the world was swirling in chaos because of a global pandemic, her heart was swirling towards love. Probably unfair to say it was love at first sight, but it was close. She met Brandon. They met in February. They were engaged in December. They were married on August 14. Rachel sent me an email last November. It was so profound, I put it in my don't lose emails file, waiting for the moment to share it with you. She's given me her permission to share it in just a minute. But for now, first, I thought you might like to hear the Bible verse that we offered at their wedding. It goes like this. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. It's Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 10, and then again repeated in verse 3, which is the Bible's way of saying, pay attention, so let me say, pay attention to arise, my love, my fair one and come away. If you're like me, you're thinking of the song by Nora Jones, Come Away, here's a portion of it, you'll love it. Come away with me in the night Come away with me and I will rise you Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. The the Song of Songs is the Bible's version of a romance novel. All of its erotic images, for the most part, are missed on us because of thousands of years of distance and significant cultural difference, which is probably a good thing, or you wouldn't let your kids read the Song of Songs, but most of us don't read the Song of Songs anyway, so let me say it. Arise, my love my fair one, and come away. There's no discernible plot in the Song of Songs. 
unlike so many other books in the Old Testament, there's no mention of the law. There's no hint even at God's covenant with his people. There's not actually even a mere mention of the name God. So why, some have asked over the course of history, why in the world would the Song of Songs be included in the canon we call Holy Scripture, and how could this verse be given the unadulterated authority of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. And yet the Song of Songs takes its place in the center of our Bibles, right next to the book of Psalms. Open your Bible and you'll probably land to its middle and you'll probably find the Song of Songs. And, and the Jewish people of the Jewish faith would read the entirety of the Song of Songs every Sabbath during Passover, the highest of high holy days. They'd read this love song. Rabbi Akiva, one of the most famous first and second century rabbis, referring to the Song of Songs, writes, all of eternity in its entirety is not as worthy as the day on which Song of Songs was given to Israel. For all the writings are holy, but Song of Songs is the holy of holies. And if there was a banner hanging over the Song of Songs to give voice to it all, it would be this one, arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Arise. I love the way it starts. Arise. I love the way it begins. It launches. Arise. It's the poet's way of saying, wake up. Get up. Stand up. Rise up from whatever lethargic sleepiness the world has dulled on you. Arise, my love. Arise to the wonder and the beauty and the magnificence and the marvel of God and the universe and the other. Arise. If I can go a little geeky on you for a second, it's the same word used later in the New Testament to capture the essence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus left the eternal communion of Father and Spirit, entered into the finite realities of creatureliness, you know, the stuff that we are. He took on what we are so that we could become like he is. He became a child so that we could become daughters and sons of the king. He took on what we are. He took it with him to the cross. He died for the forgiveness of sins. He went to the grave to shout to death, thou shalt die. And he rose up in resurrection, not only so that you could have a happier eternity, but so that you could arise now. Arise my love, my fair one, and come away. It's an invitation into resurrection living. And the only way to arise, the only way to embrace the poet's invitation is to go the way of Jesus, Jesus who died. The only way to resurrection is first death. I'm not just now talking about our own mortality. That will come for each of us. I'm talking about a willingness to die to self. Die to the scripts that are cultural scripts that are printed on our lives. Die so that you can rise. So what in you needs to die? Uh, Eugene Peterson, in his memoir titled The Pastor, 
puts it like this. Resurrection does not have to do exclusively with what happens after we're buried or cremated. It does have to do with that. But first of all, it has to do with the way we live right now. But, as Karl Barth, quoting Nietzsche, pithily reminds us, only where graves are is their resurrection. We practice our death by giving up our will to live on our own terms. Only in that relinquishment or renunciation are we able to practice resurrection. So what in you needs to die? We're constantly being pushed into a miniaturized version of our own lives. We're constantly being reduced into something smaller than ourselves. Constantly pressed, crammed into a box, labeled whatever you want to label it. Fox News, CNN, only tell us a small portion of what's going on in the big, wide, glorious world. There's so much more. Arise. Have you seen a sunset on Lake Michigan this summer? The pink and the orange and the red hues on the clouds marching like troops across our lives. Did you see a few weeks ago the meteor shower darting like a divine javelin thrower out on an eternity's playground. There's so much more, and the way to see, the way to enter in, the way to participate is to die. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. So this is one of my favorite times of the year. I love this time of year, this, this intersection between summer and fall. I love summer. I love the anti-rhythms of summer. I love the vacations and the beach sunsets and the swimming and the hot days. Mostly I love the hot days. And then I love how they give their way to the cooler temperatures of fall. I love college football. I love trapper keepers and new pencils. I love reordering my life. Do you do that? Reorder your life come fall? The anti-rhythms of summer have been great, but let's enter back into the rhythms. And so I, I literally, I journal what I want my fall rhythms to look like. I'm going to wake up and do my devotions and say my prayers. I'm going to get the girls off to school. I'm going to get to work. I'm going to begin work reading. And, and I write it all down and I order my life. And maybe you're like me, you reorder your life. So as you're reordering this fall, what in you needs to die? What in you needs to be set aside? The anger, the bitterness, the frustration, the constant talking about someone else, somewhere else out there, the habit meant to soothe you for a night but wakes you up in the morning with a headache. Arise. Arise. My love, my fair one, the poet continues. My love... My fair one. Grammatically speaking, the poet is repeating himself. It could be translated, my love, my lovely. Arise, my love, my lovely. What if that's true? The only reason the Song of Songs is included in the canon we call Holy Scriptures, though it does not mention God, and there's no bedrock foundation of covenant between God and his people, and there's really no even hint at the law, and there's no whiff of anticipation of new creation. The only reason the Song of Songs, Bible scholars have agreed, the only reason the Song of Songs is included in the canon we call Holy Scriptures is because the Jews first and Christians later understood it as an allegory. 
the Jews an allegory for God and Israel. Christians took it a step further, an allegory of Christ and the church. Arise, my love, my lovely. The reason it's included in the Bible is because God wants you to know my love. My lovely, what if that's who you are? We too often and too quickly pander ourselves to the lowest bidder we now call identity politics. We take things that may be true of us, may describe something about us, may even be important to us, but aren't the truest true, the coreiest core. What if this is the coreiest core, if you know what I'm saying? My love, my lovely, that's who you are. And think about how different you would live and behave and comport yourself in the world if you operated out of that coreiest core, out of that center. My love, my lovely. If you're a Christian, and for the record, I don't assume everyone worshiping in this sanctuary on a Sunday or sitting with you online is, we want to be the kind of community that can give you a genuine expression of Christian faith keeping wide open a generous spaciousness for people all along life's journey of faith. But if you are a Christian, you've, and maybe even if you're not, you've probably heard before, God loves you. God loves you. Karl Barth, the great German 20th century German theologian, when asked to sum up the whole of his theology, said, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. We, we kind of know it. God loves you, Jesus loves you. But then here's what we do with it. You've probably noticed this about yourself, and I've certainly seen it in me and around me. We, we, Jesus loves me despite all of the things I've done wrong. Despite the number of things I've said and the number of places I've been I shouldn't have said or I shouldn't have gone, Jesus loves me despite the wreckage of human re- relationships strewn across the highway of my life. Jesus loves me despite And that's just not what the poet is announcing. God does not love you despite you. God loves you because of you, because of who you are. Yes, in fact, the fall has wreaked havoc on our lives, but before the fall, God made humankind in his image, according to his likeness, my love, my lovely. And then when God saw everything he had made, indeed, it was very good, my love, my lovely. What if that's the truest true? What if God loves you not despite you, but because of you? Yeah, yeah, we have to take seriously the brokenness of our lives. Of course, we have to tend to the sin realities in us and around us. But maybe God loves you despite the fall, not despite you. Arise, my love, my lovely. How would it be different if we comported ourselves out of that center. You don't have to clamor around social media hoping for another like or another heart on TikTok as if that's going to define who you are. You're my lovely. You, You don't have to put all the weight of your sense of self on the acceptance into grad school if a few more, as if a few more letters are going to define who you are. You're my lovely. You don't have to scratch and claw and step on in order to get the promotion or the position or the applause you think you need. You're my lovely. And if I can push even farther because I'm feeling pushy, 
how would we comport ourselves differently in the world if we saw the other as my love, my lovely? Not now the thing they did or the thing they said some time ago. Not now even the sign in their yard indicating the vote they cast. My love, my lovely. How would we behave differently in the world if we saw ourselves and each other that way? I read a book this summer, good for me, titled Tempered Resilience by Todd Bolsinger. He's a professor out at Fuller Theological Seminary, professor in leadership, talking about the resilient leader, I mean, in sort of these uproarious calamitous, chaotic times. It seemed like a good time to read a book about leadership in difficult times. He says, he he ticks off different characteristics of a resilient leader. For Christian leaders who are responsible to bring change and who face resistance and even rejection, a vital, life-giving reality is knowing that whether we succeed or fail, our identity as those who are known and loved by God is secure. We're grounded not in our success as a leader, but in the words of 20th century theologian Paul Tillich, in the love of the one who is the ground of being. Arise, my love, my lovely. What if that's true? What if that's the coriest core? How would things be different if we lived as if that's true? And that's why this book is in the Bible. The poet goes on, arise, my love, my lovely, And come away. Come away. Come away. The gospel of Jesus Christ invites us into an entirely different way. To tell a different story. To be a part of a better narrative. To give witness to a better story being told in the world. One of the disappointments I've known in the last 18 months really two years, actually, I mean intensely the last 18 months, but really actually for the last 20 years of pastoral ministry. One of the disappointments I've experienced, and I'm not picking on anybody, I'm just naming an observation. All of the polarization that has existed and all of the animosity and all of the anger that we witness all of the time, I frankly expect it. Actually, it's job security for me. One of the disappointments is how often and how quickly the Christian church is a part of it, complicit in it. And actually even, not only do we participate in the divisions and the animosities of our world, we actually divide from ourselves. We add division on top of division. And all the time we've been invited to tell a better story, give witness to a better way, come away, come away. Come away. Be a part of a better story. Leslie Newbegin puts it like this. The primary business of the church, listen carefully. The primary business of the church is not to advocate for a new social order. It is our primary business to be a new social order. Come away. Come away. Come away 
from the cultural scripts. Come away from being crammed into a small, reduced, miniaturized version of yourself. Come away into the big, full, beautiful, whole story of a God who loves you and the world so much. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it in abundance. Come away. Paul says anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. The prophet announces I'm doing a new thing. Can you perceive it? Come away. So I told you I'd share a little bit of Rachel and Brandon's story. She graduated from Hope, was an important part of our community, moved back to Illinois, then to Grand Rapids. While the world was swirling in chaos, her heart was swirling towards love. Last November, 10 months ago, she sent me an email She gave me permission to read it to you, but I thought it'd be better actually if she read it to you. Uh, So I asked her to record herself with Brandon reading the email she sent me 10 months ago. Listen to this. Hello, Pastor John. I pray this email finds you and your beautiful family well. I look back on my time at Hope and treasure the Sunday morning pillar worship with you. You always encourage your pillar community to share stories. So here's mine. After moving back to my hometown in the spring of 2018, I fell in love with a fellow Hope grad who was living a few streets down from me at that time. I had never truly loved someone the way I had until I found Jacob, and we always chuckled at our perfect couple name being Jacob and Rachel. It was exactly 365 days after our first date that Jacob went missing on a solo kayaking trip on Lake Michigan. And after another 11 days of combing beaches, gathering eyewitnesses, and praying, 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 we recovered Jacob's body down at Indiana Dunes State Park. My heart was broken beyond all measure. My trust in God was absolutely crushed. I had no desire to connect with God in any way, no desire to connect with his believers either. They seemed way too chipper and fake and positive for me at the time. I couldn't stand to hear how God showed up and answered anyone else's prayer while he ignored mine. I just didn't understand how he worked, if he worked anymore. My friends and family sat with me in the darkness. And most importantly, God worked through hope. Just after Valentine's Day, a very clear sense of hope stirred up in me. I was tired of being sad, angry, distant, and lacking in hope. So. I tried dating again. I downloaded a dating app, UGG, and about one week later, went on my first coffee date with an amazing guy named Brandon. Brandon and I have been seeing each other ever since that random February afternoon. Brandon has challenged me in my faith, reminded me what genuine love and care for another looks like, and brought me closer to God once more. He and I have been watching Pillar's virtual services throughout COVID. I am so glad I can genuinely say that I've been in the hills and the valleys, that I've longed for God in the waiting, and that I have seen right before my eyes that he is good. She says, I was tired of being sad and angry and lonely. I was tired of being sad and angry and lonely. And I'm just wondering if you know what it's like. Are you tired too? Tired of being sad, tired of being angry, tired of being lonely, tired of being bitter, 
tired of being divided, tired of fighting, tired of yelling, come away. Come away. Arise, my love, my lovely, and come away. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.